Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you from our Lord and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The, the gospel lesson for today will be the subject or will be the focus of our attention from Matthew 18, 15 to 20. How many of you have ever had an embarrassing moment? Unbeknownst to you, a piece of food was stuck between your front teeth. Or you accidentally left the price tag on something that you were, that you were wearing. When you finally noticed these things, did you ever wonder why no one was kind enough to tell you about it? That really is a mark of a good friend, isn't it? He or she is someone who cares enough to tell you whether it be something unpleasant or embarrassing news. Friends are described in a way in a commonly heard public announcement message. It says, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Of course not. Who would allow our friend to put himself in that dangerous position? We care too much for our friends to let this happen. Or imagine that your neighbor's house is in fire. As a friend, what would you do? You would call the fire department, call 911, and you would run to rescue. So it isn't odd if we, it isn't odd if we choose not to intervene if we know our friends are struggling with spiritually and destructive behavior. This whole gospel lesson from Matthew 18, we didn't read all of it, he tells, Jesus tells us how bad sin is and what it does to us in our lives. And so it's inconceivable that a friend could fall farther and farther away from the Lord, and we would opt to say nothing. And when you know that person's relationship of Christ determines his eternal destiny, because the more that we sin or we're not repentant, it gives the devil a chance to grab us, and eventually our faith is lost. And so how could you say nothing? And that's why the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you, are, you who are, are spiritual should, uh, should restore re, uh, him gently. Now most people don't like to confront others. And this is especially true in our society today. The accepted rule nowadays is mind your own business. Or maybe you're the kind of people who likes to keep peace at any price. So even though you, you, uh, you're certain that, that uh, someone is uh, uh, hurting others or himself, and you look the other way, but isn't it ignoring that same indirectly sin and condoning it through your indifference? You know, it's like a, a driver who was illegally parked his car and left a note on his windshield wiper. And he wrote, 
I've circled this block 20 minutes, and I'm late for my appointment. And if I don't park here, I'm going to lose my job. And he signed it, forgive us our trespasses. And later he comes back to his car and he finds a parking ticket with this following note. I've circled this block for 20 years. And if I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. It was signed, lead us not into temptation. Perhaps you remember one of those first stories written in the Bible about how God confronted Cain after he murdered his brother Abel. He said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And you remember what Cain said? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? How do you think God wants us to answer that question? And it's easy for us to come to a worship service like we do this morning and to leave and not give much thought about those people that are sitting around you. But this shouldn't be the case, should it? God has made us a body, a congregation in which each of us is connected and responsible for one another. So when you haven't, let's say, seen someone, and this is pretty hard, I know, to do now, but let's just say when things are regular, okay? So when you haven't seen someone who is worshiping for a long time, or when a Christian, a fellow Christian is making choices that are spiritually damning, damaging to himself or others, or when someone is straying further away from the Lord, like Cain, we might say, am I my brother's keeper? That's not any of my business. Or we can listen closely to the words that Jesus shares in our text for today, from Matthew 18, 15 to 20. And here in those few verses, Jesus gives to us a, his strategy for peacemaking. And sometimes if you look in, in our catechism or as, as we teach it, it's called church discipline. Because really, it's a, his loving plan to how gently to reclaim and to restore that erring brother or sister. First of all, Jesus says in our text for today, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between you two. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, this doesn't mean that we should call attention to every minor offense that we see. You see, God is patient and forgiving with many wrongs that you and I do, and we should do the same with others. And yet there's time when a person who professes to be a Christian will behave in such a way that others will think less of God or his church, or his word. And it's that, it's those times, it's often necessary for us to confront that person. And we do it in love. Or perhaps your relationship with another Christian has been significantly damaged for one reason or another. And this is a situation that most likely cannot be avoided. For it's never healthy in God's church when his people 
aren't united in peace. And the devil will often use that unsolved conflict and disunity to create chaos in the congregation. Read 1 Corinthians. There was a trouble in that congregation with a person who was uh, having incest and they did nothing about it. And that's why Jesus tells us to talk it over and make things right. Now, how do we do that? In a humble, gentle way, Jesus tells us to, to take the initiative, to go to that person privately, meet one-on-one, -on -one, even if he or she started it and you were that injured party. Don't wait for him or her to do that. You make the first move. And even if you don't think you did anything wrong, don't delay. Approach that other person and give him or her that benefit of the doubt. Be open as possible that you have assessed the situation incorrectly. Correct or, or create a, a positive and relaxed atmosphere and speak the truth in love. For remember, what's our goal? That goal, who that person who has drifted from that right relationship with the Lord will listen, will repent, and will be restored. Sounds easy enough, right? Unfortunately, most of us would rather avoid talking to people directly about issues that bother us. And there's a reason for that, because our sinful nature wants us to work in triangles. If someone hurts us, then I'll speak to someone else, fully expecting that that person will go back to that person who has harmed me and tell them how I really feel. How effective is that approach? That's why Jesus tells us to do the courteous, courageous thing, to pray. And then to meet privately and any other approach or motive won't be as effective. And if that person listens and repents, immediately share Christ's forgiveness. Assure that person that Jesus' tomb is big enough to contain all the sins of the whole world. And announce that just as Jesus refuses to remember the sin of a repentant believer, so also you won't dig up his sin. At that very moment, you open that door of heaven to them by sharing God's love and keys of forgiveness. But let's just say that after several one-on-one -on -one visits, that erring brother or sister refuses to listen and turn from their evil ways. Listen to the second step that Jesus tells us today. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. Step two is to take others with you. Mutually decide, choose people who are caring, who are respectful Christians. Their role is to be encouraging both sides to listen more carefully ask questions to clarify facts, and provide practical advice from God's word. Hopefully that will lead to, a, to restoration. 
And once that happens, and if it does happen, immediately share the good news of Jesus' forgiveness. If at, after several attempts it doesn't work, then take it to step three. Take it to the church. Tell the church. Jesus says that in verse 17. Now that doesn't mean that we stand up here in a worship service and broadcast the sins and the conflicts of church members, no. We inform the leaders of the church to which that person belongs so that they can assist in doing what they can to reclaim that person, that erring brother or sister in Christ. And what if that person refuses or repents to repent or to be reconciled even after the church has stepped in? And Jesus tells us in verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now those are chilling words, aren't they? Pagans were outside the company of Israel. Tax collectors, by collaborating with the Romans, were seemed to be cut themselves off from God's people. When we remember, uh, when a member refuses to repent of sin, once that has been clearly established and he is patiently warned, even by the whole church, the congregation is commanded by God himself to eventually remove that person from fellowship. And we call that excommunication. And announces that person that he has brought this upon himself by his own impenitence. He's cut off from God's forgiveness as long as he refuses to repent. And this means, this means he may not receive Holy Communion and, and a church burial. But if that person refuses to repent of his sins, he rejects God's forgiveness and consigns himself to hell. But let's not forget that Jesus loved pagans and tax collectors too. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. He warned them of their sinful condition and its consequences and urged them to repent. And the church cannot pretend that things are all right with people who refuse to listen to God as he speaks through the scriptures. But our whole purpose as a church is to restore them, that erring brother or sister. And yes, it even means, it requires the most painful means. But when that person repents and sees his, his error, he's forgiven. All is restored. The blessings of fellowship of the altar and the joy of eternal life in heaven Yes, just as Jesus sought and saved so many pagans and tax collectors. Applying God's word in our daily life at times is incredibly challenging. It reminds me of a man who tried to fix an expensive motor without success. Finally, he called an expert to come and to check this motor out. And after listening to the motor for a few seconds, the engineer tapped twice with his hammer. And guess what? Immediately the motor was fixed. But when the bill was, was arrived, the man was outraged. How could he charge $100 for that? And he demanded an itemized bill. And a few days later, this bill came in the mail. Itemized. Tapping with the hammer. One dollar. Knowing where to tap, $99. 
total 100. Knowing how and when to put our knowledge of Christ's love and forgiveness to work is challenging, but with God's help, it can be done. Why else would God give us this way of reconciliation? It's a process that requires diligent prayer. It, 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 it also means growth in God's word and a loving concern for people and above all else, a sincere desire to please and honor God. And in Christ, you receive that grace to do all things. It's not easy to gently confront someone who is falling away from Christ. But if you do, or if you and I don't, who will? Jesus, that good shepherd, is seeking to save the lost. You and I have put on Christ. His power is at work in you, changing your life, making you more like him. Don't be surprised if you find in your compassion of your heart for those who are going astray. Because God will give you the strength to take that initiative to reach out with the healing, renewing, and strengthening message of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus our Savior. Amen.